This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Luke 19 and verse 10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Years ago, Bill Rice III and I started a preacher's meeting at the Bill Rice Ranch, and I never will forget, uh, we had, in the first time we had that, a man whose church ran about 2,000 in Sunday school. And he said, you know, my folks think by and large that they pay me to win souls. But he said, I wanted them to get the burden that the Bible doesn't teach that every preacher is soul winner, but every Christian is soul winner. So this is what he did. He took two men and put them on the platform at night. And he said, now this is what I want you to do. I want you to go down the congregation, bring one person back with you, and then go down again, bring another person back with you. Then go down again and bring another person back with you. He said, I want you to repeat that cycle eight times. So obviously when he finished, there was the man who started plus eight. He said, now folks, here's the difference. He said, I want this gentleman to go down in the congregation, bring one person back with him. Then two of you go down, you bring two more back with you. Then four of you go down and you bring four more back with you. I want you to repeat that cycle eight times. Every time uh, you're going down, everybody is reproducing himself. When he finished that eight cycle time, you know how many were on this side? 256 plus a person who started. You see, I'm not that smart, but I know that you get there a whole lot more, uh, quicker by multiplying than you do by adding. And so my challenge to you tonight is, every Christian a soul winner. Quickly, I wanna give you four reasons why Jesus was a master soul winner. Number one, he had an undying love. Ephesians 3 and verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Ephesians 5 and verse 2, and walk in love, as Christ has loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Galatians 2 and verse 20, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, for it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You know what the pattern of Jesus was when he came to a town like this? He hunted up those who were social outcasts and he showed love to the unlovely. Now in Luke 19 and verse 10, do you remember what the context of that is? He hunted up the most hated man in all of town, a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And in Luke 19 and verse 5, it says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. That day Zacchaeus came down, he got saved. Why? Because he found somebody who loved him. 
And then you go to John chapter 4. Here's the town harlot. She'd been living with a man that was not her husband, been married five times. And I believe she came that day to seek a man. But in John 4, 13 and 14, he said, Whosoever drink this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drink the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And that day the town harlot got saved because she found somebody who loved her. Years ago, I was walking down the streets of Columbia, South Carolina. I saw a man who was obviously a vagrant, had five or six days growth of a beard. I could tell he hadn't had a bath in some time. So I walked up to him and I said, sir, I'd like to give you this to read. And he looked at it and he said, why did you stop me? He said, what about all these other people? I said, I've never seen you before, but I love you. He said, you don't know what you're talking about. He said, well, my wife doesn't even love me. She took the kids and left me a long time ago. He said, do you know that I'm wanted all over the state of South Carolina for crimes I've committed? He said, if the police knew that I were talking to you today, they'd apprehend me and take me to jail. I said, sir, I believe your story, but I love you. But I've got a better story to tell you than that. I can tell you about somebody who loved you far more than I could ever love you, and that's Jesus Christ. I said, would you let me tell you about him? He said, sure, go ahead. So I took out my New Testament, gave him the Romans road, and after a while I could notice tears coming down his face. I said, if somebody loved you this much, the least you could do is let him save you. I said, right now, here on the streets of Columbia, South Carolina, would you bow your head and receive Jesus Christ? He said, I will. Amen. So he got saved that day. I went through the Romans road, then I went through the four legs that a Christian needs to put under his Christian life. And after I got through, he reached in his back pocket. He pulled out a pint of whiskey and he said, you see this? He said, Mr. Comfort, I'm not going to need this anymore. He went over the sewer and he poured it down the sewer. He said, you know what I'm going to do? He said, I'm going to go home and find my wife and family and I'm going to tell them that Jesus loves them. It's a love that makes a difference. Number one, he had an undying love. Number two, he was a man of compassion. In uh, Matthew 9 and verse 36, in Mark, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, Mark chapter 1 and verse 41, it says, and when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Matthew 23, 37 and 38, after he preached to the publicans and the Pharisees, he began to weep. And he said, O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thy children as they end up gathered chickens under wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. He was a man of compassion. Now, here's a good definition of compassion. Your pain in my heart. 
Did you get that? Your pain in my heart. I heard this testimony. A layman got up and he said, you know, he said, my wife had cancer for years. And he said, she had not had a good night's sleep in years. And he said, one night before I went to bed, I said, Lord, would you let me take her pain so she could have one good night's sleep? He said, you know what? I didn't sleep a wink all night long. He said, all over my body, I suffered this pain. But he said, I looked over and I saw my wife sleeping so peacefully for the first time in years. Your pain in my heart. Let me ask you a question, folks. Have you ever gotten alone with God and you thought your heart would break? And you said, Lord, I don't care what it means, even if it means taking my life, save my loved ones. For two years, I was Youth for Christ director in central West Virginia. And I was asked to judge some essays from some independent Baptist teenagers. And the one that I judged the winner broke my heart. She said her sister had been saved. And she thought it was a big joke. She laughed at her sister's Christianity. Her mom and dad mocked their daughter's Christianity. She said, however, one night I was downstairs by my sister's bedroom. And she heard some crying going on. And she said, I put my ear to the door and I heard my sister pray, oh God, save my mom and dad. Oh God, save my sister. Lord, I don't care even if it means taking my own life. Save my mom and dad and my sister. She said in one month, my sister was killed in an automobile wreck. But at the funeral, the mom and dad and the sister were born again. You know what God says about that? And of some having a compassion, making a difference. Jude verse 22. Every meeting that I hold, extended meeting, I always give this invitation. If it's an eight-day meeting, I say, on a Friday night, I would say, now, if God has laid somebody on your heart and you're going to try to win them to Christ this week, in the next 10 days, I want you to come and name that loved one on your knees. I was preaching in a tent meeting like this in Pennsylvania. Fourteen churches were involved. And I gave that invitation on a Friday night. A lady came forward and wept at the altar. And I heard that she was weeping for the man for whom she was caregiver. She'd been his caregiver for four months. So the next day on a Saturday was to be her last day as the caregiver. She went to the place where the man was right on the verge of eternity. The loved ones were in the waiting room, waiting to see whether granddad or dad had gone out into eternity. She said, you know, folks, last night in our revival meeting, I wept at the altar for your dad. She said, I've been his caregiver for four months, and God has really knit my heart to him. She said, today is my last day as his caregiver. And I want you to pray. I'm going to go in and try to win him to Christ. They said, we'll pray. But we guarantee you when you go in there, 
He'll start cussing you out when you talk about getting saved. So she went into the room and she said, you know, sir, I love you. For four months, God has knit my heart to you. And I almost feel like you're the same as my father. And you know, you're close to eternity and you're not ready to meet God. You know what he did? He started cussing her out. And she began to weep. And she said, oh, I love you so much. I can't stand the thought of your dying and going to hell without Christ. When he saw her tears, you know what he said? Tell me how to get saved. He got saved two days later. He was out into eternity. As far as I know, there's only one promise in the Bible that the word doubtless is connected to. That's Psalm 126, 5 and 6. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. So number one, he had an undying love. Number two, he was a man of compassion. Number three, he was a man of prayer. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 23, it says, And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up apart into a mountain to pray, and when even was come, he was there alone. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, he got alone early in the morning and he prayed. Mark chapter 5 and verse 16, he got alone in the evening and he prayed. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18, it simply says he got alone and he prayed. Luke twenty-two forty-one, he got alone in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. In Matthew 4 and verse 2, he prayed 40 days and 40 nights. And you know what the theme song is in our churches? Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. Excuse me, the Son of God did not say that. Luke 18 and verse 1, and he spake unto them a parable of this end, saying that men ought always to pray and not to faint. First Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. Pastor, most of the people by a large majority that get saved under our meetings now are people that have been prayed for by the laymen in the church. They have witnessed to them. They bring them in, and then they get saved. But it all starts with prayer. How many of you know somebody that prayed for you before you got saved? Raise your hand. I'm convinced nobody gets saved unless somebody's prayed for them. Uh, when I started in evangelism, be 61 years ago this May, when I started, I started sending out packets of preparation. And in that packet of preparation, I have preparation prayer. And I encourage the church to start praying three months before the meeting. They get a prayer list, have the people pray daily. So I came to a meeting in Michigan. And the pastor met me on Saturday. He said, Brother Comfort, here's a prayer list. We've been praying for these folks for three months now. He said, would you pray for him in your devotions and then we'll pray before the service every night? I said, Pastor, I'd be glad to. So we prayed night after night, check people off the prayer list, check people off the prayer list. 
Three years later, when I went back to that church, the pastor met me on Saturday, and he said, here's the prayer list that we prayed for three years ago when you were here. He said, let me tell you something. Everybody that was on that prayer list that God saved is now serving God in this local church. He said, this man that was saved three years ago is now a trustee. This man that was saved three years ago is now a deacon. This woman that was saved is now president of the women's missionary group. This woman that was saved that was on the prayer list is now leading the choir. Folks, I want to challenge you. You pray for somebody, make them a target, and try to get them saved before the anniversary comes next year this time. All right, number one, he had an undying love. Number two, he was a man of compassion. Number three, he was a man of prayer. And number four, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter four and verse one. And Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He was filled with the Spirit. This is a tremendous thing to me. Before Jesus began his public ministry, he was filled with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. He lived 30 years, as far as we know, never preached a sermon, never healed anybody until he was filled with the Spirit. If Jesus could not begin his public ministry until he was filled with the Spirit, you and I cannot be fruitful in this matter of soul winning unless we're filled with the Spirit. When I was uh, in the academy at Bob Jones, I would see Dr. Bob Sr. traipse across that platform. And that old man put some fire in my bones that has never gone out. And you know, my attitude was, I don't care about automobiles. I don't care about designer clothing. I don't care about brick houses. Live or die, I want to preach the gospel. And so I wanted everything that God had for me. And uh, I'd hear preachers get up and preach on being filled with the Spirit. And uh, I'd say, Lord, I want to be filled with the Spirit, but I don't know how. I read Tory's book on how to be filled with the Spirit, and I was not mature enough to digest it. And after I'd graduated from the academy... I was in Chicago, Illinois, looking for a job. I stayed two weeks in the YMCA hotel. I came within a half an inch of finding a job. I went to the railroad, and they measured me. And they said, you're five feet five and a half. We don't hire anybody unless they're five feet six. I think I'm going to sue them. But anyway, you know why God had me there? On Sunday, Dr. M.R. DeHaan was preaching at Moody Bible Church. And as an 18-year-old young man, aspiring preacher boy, I went to hear him preach. And you know what he preached that Sunday morning? He preached on how to be filled with the Spirit. And he put it down on a level where an 18-year-old young man could understand it. And he said there are two things involved in being filled with the Spirit. Number one, cleansing. Romans 6, 11, and 12. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Are you listening? 
If there is unconfessed sin in your life, you are not a candidate for the filling of the Spirit. All right, number one, cleansing, but number two, control. Ephesians 5 and verse 18. And be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? It is not a matter of rededication. A young man came forward in North Carolina. I said, young man, why'd you come? He said, I came to rededicate. I said, what do you mean by rededicate? He said, well, you know, rededicate, rededicate. I said, does that mean if God called you to the mission field, you'd be willing to go? He said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I said, all right, turn around and go back to your seat. Now, it's not a matter of rededication. It's a matter of total dedication. Lord, I'm yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll do what you want me to do. No strings attached. Have you come to that place in your life? In closing, our first mission field trip was in Kenya, Africa. And I preached in the Lake Victoria area, and people from all over Kenya had come. I watched ladies who had walked for miles and miles with a baby on their back. Their feet were bruised and calloused. And I used to joke about missionary barrels, but I don't anymore. If those folks had not had missionary barrels, they'd have had nothing to wear. And so we were told about a pastor in South Kenya who announced in a couple months they were going to enjoy a sacrificial Sunday. And the challenge was, I want you to give something above your normal giving. It may be food, it may be clothes, it may be money, but I want it to be a sacrificial offering. Well, the day came for Sacrificial Sunday, and the pastor had a large basket at the front of the auditorium. He said, now line up in the aisle and come down and put your sacrificial offering in the basket. There was a man walking back and forth, back and forth at the back of the building. And the pastor thought, maybe he's going to try to break up the service. So finally, the last one had come and put his sacrifice in the basket. And then this man came down the aisle. He came to the front and he said, Pastor, he said two months ago when you announced Sacrificial Sunday, he said, my wife and I planned and we prayed and we were going to plant a corn crop. And we were not going to give 10% or even 50%. We were going to give it all to God. And we were so anxious for this day to come. And as we saw our corn crop grow, we became more excited. He said, Pastors, you know, we've had an elephant stampede. And the elephants have stampeded through the corn, and not one ear of corn was left. He said, as my wife and I got up this morning, we got up with a broken heart. We knew that everybody would come and put their offerings in the offering basket, but we'd have nothing. Pastor, he said, our sacrifice offering is gone. He said, the only thing I know to give to God is myself. He stepped in the offering basket and he said, Lord, here's my sacrifice offering. Please accept it. And that's what God is asking of you. He had an undying love. He had a 
compassionate heart. He was a man of prayer, and he was filled with the Spirit. Let's bow our heads. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Now, I want to challenge you. How many of you will say, Brother Comfort, God has challenged my heart about somebody that I want to win to Christ in this next year. And by God's grace, I'm going to set up a target and I'm going to pray for that target. It may be a loved one. It may be a co-labor. It may be a next-door neighbor. But in the next year, I'm going to pray for that person. And by God's grace, I want to try to lead that person to Christ. And if you will promise God that you will do that, I want you right now to raise your hand, please. Keep them up just a moment. Keep them up just a moment. Pastor, would you see these hands, please? God bless you. All over the tent. Lord, help us to realize that these people are not paying Brother Asher or Brother Coles to be the soul winner for Good News Baptist Church. But the challenge is for every one of us to get involved in the matter of soul winning. And Lord Jesus, if you tarry until next year this time, I pray that when testimonies are asked for, there will be a number that will be able to get to the microphone and say, I saw my target saved this year. God, give us compassion. Help us to have an undying love. Help us to be men and women of prayer and filled with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.